Hello and welcome once again to episode 75 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So, say you just started a new job. Like, how do you stand out without overdoing the amount of hours you're working every week? Um, and, like, in general, not not doing more work than you really need to be doing. So doing more quality work than quantity work. Um, and how can you go about like excelling yourself and pushing yourself forward in that process? Because standing out is all about like having more great decisions than bad ones, really. Like at the end of the day, like if, if it all balances out, then you're not really going to stand out any more than anyone else. Um, but if you do want to make a good impression, then it's it's up to you to make a bunch of good imp- good decisions, which is hard for someone who may not have been doing this a whole uh, ton of years. So um, I figured as I saw a lot of people like getting their first jobs on Twitter, I figured what a better time for unsolicited advice from us <laughs> <laughs> of like how to go about doing that. Uh, so uh, my my like number one thing is always going to be like get comfortable with Git. Like that's the easiest way to to kind of move your raise yourself up in a way that most people are not going to expect. Um, mm-hmm. And we all see Git as this like very complex uh, thing that's like hard to master, and it really isn't. It's something you truly can learn in a week or two of just like reading a book on it and going over like concrete examples and exercises to get comfortable with it um and i'm curious to to know like what you think if it's just me that has this opinion spencer or if you if you also agree yeah no i i absolutely agree i think that's a huge thing just because it's such a like obviously essential but like fundamental thing where um you know for example if you're working on a bunch of bug fixes for the day. Like those are, you're just picking a bunch of tickets, you're switching branches, you're making pull requests, you're having to merge and develop when other people have, have um, uh, you know, merged their pull requests in. And so it's this constant thing that you're doing multiple times a day, potentially. Uh, so being able to do it well, and um, I'd say also just... Um, yeah, I guess being able to do it well, I really like that you said it's like quality over quantity, where um, in a lot of these things, especially in like a first job, right? Um, no one's expecting you to have everything mastered. They're not expecting you to do all of this amazing work that you're, for lack of a better term, not qualified to do. But I think uh, Git is one example where uh, you're probably expected to know how to do it at a basic level. But like Dimitri said, if you can get really good at it, knowing how to like already make pull requests, uh, maybe you're, you're like, for example, I only used GitHub before I got this job. Um, but at work, we use Bitbucket. <clears throat> Luckily, making a pull request is as easy as finding the create pull request button and the process is the, th- the same. So a lot of this information is transferable um, but had I not had that information, uh, beforehand, then yeah, it would have been like, Hey, how do I merge my code in? And that, you know, uh, that takes time away from someone else. And I'm sure that they're happy to do it, especially if you were a junior, but 
having, again, that like fundamental uh, knowledge of something that you'll be doing potentially multiple times a day is, I think, huge in general. Um, not to yeah, mention as... getting into, sorry, real quick. Um, not to mention getting into, you know, being able to deal with uh, merge conflicts and th these things that maybe are a little bit more uh, pernicious to deal with, but ultimately you're going to run into. Um, I think that, I guess really the name of the game here is like being indep as independent as you can be while also, you know, especially if you're a junior realizing that they're not expecting you to be 100% independent and I don't think any developer really is. Yeah, as as you said, it's not so much that uh, you need to be excellent at what your main job is, which is programming. Which you're you're basically, if you're hired as a junior or you're hired as a mid level uh, engineer, uh, you are not necessarily expected to be like know everything. Um, nor are you expected to be able to solve any problem. Um, and the skills that like we'll go over in this episode, I feel like are skills that are adjacent to that, um, that anyone can be good at. It's, it's all about good work ethic more than anything. Yeah. Um, and Git is just about like knowing how Xcode works, like knowing where the buttons are, knowing how to be effective, uh, knowing how to, uh, command click to find like where code is located. Like all of those things are not, about being a good problem solver and knowing how to fix any problem with code. Um, but, and as a result of that, there's something that anyone can like immediately be comfortable with. Right. Um, so I think that's the magic of, of uh, Git is it is just a tool um, that you can learn how to be comfortable with just like, just by practicing with it on your own. So as you mentioned, like a PR in, uh, GitHub is the same thing as a PR in Bitbucket or a MR merge request in GitLab. Right. Like it's, they all use different terminology for the exact same to like topic, and it's something you can do in your own pet projects. Like instead of committing everything to master or main, like go ahead and make a branch. Go ahead and make a PR. Go ahead and write up your PR. Like yeah. go through that exercise because in that process you will have to review your PR and you will find issues. Um, so like that, there's no better way to like really get good at something, get good, um, get good. <laughs> uh, at something, uh, than to practice it. Um, and like, this is one of the easiest things that you can practice on your own and you can make situations for yourself where you're going to have merge conflicts, like start a yep. branch doing one feature and say like, okay, hold, uh, I just found a bug. Let me pause this branch, make a new branch for that bug. Um, and then go ahead and and commit that one first and as a result your second branch is going to need to be rebased or you're going to need to merge stuff so that's like there's no better practice environment than with yourself um because worst case you you can go ahead and like fix it and you're not damaging other people's code right um my favorite like technique just duplicate the folder in finder like make yep. a copy of it that you know where to copy that code from. It doesn't, you don't need to know how to use the ref log and all that to like undo a rebase that, that went wrong. No, you can just make a copy before you do something that you know is going to be terrifying and get, um, and keep doing that until you're not terrified by it. Right. Absolutely. I think that's like one of the best parts about Git is 
you can essentially simulate, you know, these these complex or, or maybe tough situations by yourself. You don't need someone else to do it. I mean, heck, you could make a private repository on GitHub. And so no one would see any of the work that you're doing, but you can uh, not just be committing on, you know, locally, but you can be interacting with, with uh, you know, the remote repository and be making these pull requests. And I mean, a lot of the times I'll... Um, you know, commit something, push it. And then when I'm ready to make my pull request, you can see the diff of what you're looking at, uh, what, what's going to be, um, submitted in the pull request. And I'll be like, Oh crap. I, I didn't even mean to commit this file. And I just happened to just, you know, gloss through it when I was committing in the first place. Uh, so being able to know like that there even is a diff that you can look at before you actually submit the pull request, uh, is nice. And just, Finding these these tools that help you, I guess, improve your workflow, um, but just knowing what tools are available, uh, I think, is is kind of a huge thing. If if that makes sense, so mm-hmm. yeah. And that pre review really helps you hide your sloppiness, right? You can go oh, yeah. ahead and see, like, oh, I have four work in progress commits in a row. Like there are commands in Git to interactively rebase and rename those commits and squish them into one um, and really make things uh, look more professional, right? Um, It takes five minutes at the end of working on a feature to go ahead and one, rebase off of main because main changed in between. Um, So you just have your commits on your PR, not your old commits and then a merge and then your old commits and then another merge and then your old commits. Like you can clean that all up so that way you only have um, something clean to present. So this is like a proposal that you're making to the rest of the team, right? You're saying, hey, I think we should add this code in. Uh, you want to make that look the best it can and your team will respect you for doing that work. Um, another great way of doing this is in your in your PR, like include a screenshot of before and after. How do I get mm-hmm. the before? I just made all these changes. Just switch to main. Just switch over to main. Take a screenshot of or a screen recording. It's super easy in the simulator now. Command R. You might have done it accidentally yeah. as yep, you try to I build and run have. and the simulator is <laughs> active. Yeah. Um, so you can record a quick thing. Uh, drag that onto your PR. It will upload. And then switch back to your branch. Record that same thing with the fixed behavior. And then go ahead and drag that over as well. And then you can go ahead and show, like, hey, this PR has this tangible difference. Um, it's not just, like, a bunch of changes to the view controller that and constraints that no one really knows, like, what the change is. Like, you can mm-hmm. directly go ahead and see it. And then guess what? People are going to be a lot happier to review your code as a result of that because it's going to be a lot more clear what exactly it's doing, right? Yeah, I even yesterday had a, a great example of, um, I think, like, a very... I guess, constructive uh, PR, where a lot of the times, you know, you just list out the the things that you changed. But there was this one thing that I was trying to kind of communicate some information to the user. And I I wasn't quite sure it was it was going in an alert controller. And I wasn't quite sure if it was necessarily the best format. And so what I did was exactly what Dimitri said, where I took a screenshot, so they didn't have to, uh, you know, comb through the code, but they could see like an actual working example with the strings that get in, get interpolated and everything. Um, and in my pull request, the comment, I said, uh, hey, you know, I'd like feedback on this. I'm submitting this code, but if there's a better way to do this, um, let me know. 
and my boss came in and um, showed me kind of a, a better format to to do this, especially with localization and stuff. Um, and so I thought that was a, I don't know if I'm really communicating it well, but it, I think pull requests can be maybe a little bit scary at first where you're kind of like, especially as a junior, where you're like, please take my humble code, you know, accept it graciously. And it's, it's more of like a, a conversation. It's more of a, um, a, yeah, a conversation or a, a dialogue and saying, Hey, this is what I've got. But also uh, like one thing that's huge is don't be offended when someone comments on your pull request and says, Hey, can you change this? Or they reject it and say, you know, do this instead. They're just looking out for probably potential bugs in the future. And they want to make sure that the code works uh, in general. So don't take it personally, I suppose, <laughs> if yeah. that makes and then, sense. And you can always ask like, why? Like, yeah. Can, oh, can absolutely. Explain? And and you can ask why in a non condescending like way. You can say like, "Hey, I want to understand like why is this better? Um, like I made the change, but why why does this improve things? If you don't understand, because that will help you be more effective in the future if you yes. understand the reason as to why you're making a change here or there, right? Yeah, absolutely. So good stuff uh, overall. I mean, get in general kind of isolated as your you know within just you your own work is crucial but also the collaboration tools that kind of get extended through you know github and in these remote um, repositories and stuff uh, are just good to practice i think a huge thing like dimitri said is making sure that you're maybe at the very least uh if your pull request is well written if that makes uh, the 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 title and the comment of the pull request is is well written um i'd say the commit messages probably should be pretty good as well but at the very least make it into like this coherent message saying this is what i changed and you know most of the time that's all you need but like i said you know the cool part is you can add screenshots like dimitri said um you can you know like i did yesterday start a conversation and say i I would love actual feedback on this. Will you please check this out and make sure that it, it makes sense, right? Because you're one person and even probably as a senior, I'd, I'd assume, Dimitri, there's things that you don't maybe know 100% uh, mm -hmm. are the right thing. And you need to get feedback from someone that is not so close to the code that they can't see potential other issues. Yeah, and everyone has, like, you can't know everything. Um, so everyone has like deep dived into one topic or another and they are exceptional at that um and may know nothing about something else like git is right. an, ex an ex extreme example an excellent example of that because there has not been a team that i've joined where there's not a senior developer that has no clue how git works um like it's just <laughs> part of uh, joining a new team there's going to be someone who knows a ton about programming that knows nothing about uh how to do something well in git um, and it's entirely because like they never needed to like push themselves in that regard. Um, so they never learned it. So you coming in as a junior that does have like very good concrete get knowledge about how to do things like a rebase, um, how to go ahead and rename your commits, how to yeah. navigate a complex merge conflict. Like if you are able to do all of that, you are already going to be a prized member of the team because most people don't are gonna be like, e. uh, they're gonna be scared of even learning 
what might take them a week to learn, which is uh-huh. the, the the most surprising thing to me um, as to like why people resist uh, kind of learning this. They're just more intimidated than anything. Um, so it absolutely is like one of the easiest ways to to impress um, in in a new team on a new job. Yeah. Um, I did want to uh, follow up too. When you're making your PR, be concise. Um, I think I mentioned this briefly, but yeah. if you come across another bug while you're fixing something, like A, write it down, B, make a ticket for it, and then tackle it later. Um, but don't necessarily just fix it uh, along with what you're doing. Like if your PR does not have a con- concise message of like, hey, I'm working on just this one thing, it's going to be more difficult to review afterwards because whoever's reviewing is going to be like, okay, what does this piece of code have to do with any of this? And they're going to be confused. Whereas if you submit a separate PR while you're making your main one saying, hey, I fixed this little thing uh, that I ran across, uh, then that is going to be merged in instantly and no one's going to think twice about it. So um, if you can, like that is tremendously useful to other reviewers and it's going to res- uh, lower the resistance they have towards re- like reviewing your code. Um, and they might prefer to review your code over someone else's code, like if there's a bunch of stuff to review, uh, because yours is going to be easier to review as a result. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I guess as the, the final uh, bookmark on the Git conversation here, uh, review other people's code. Like Yes. As the newest person to a team... Like, a code base is intimidating. There's a ton of stuff that's already there. You have no clue how any of it works. The easiest way to for you to start getting acclimated to code is to get acclimated to the new code coming in, right? Um, so every PR that comes in, even if you don't understand all of it, go ahead and read through it. Go ahead and ask questions. Like, say, um, hey, how does this uh, impact this other part? Um, everyone knows you're new, so it's totally fine to ask those questions. Um, and especially in that context, because they can go ahead and reply in line, um, and it's completely asynchronous, not necessarily taking up uh, too much of people's time. Uh, so that is a great way to really get comfortable in a new code base when it's often intimidating at first. Uh, so just kind of work on that thing that they told you to work on, but at the same time, anytime a new PR comes in, like be involved, um, even if you don't understand it, like ask questions. Uh, is maybe spot something that is like potentially off. Um, like you can directly start contributing, uh, even if you didn't contribute any code yet, um, because you're still kind of understanding the area that you're set to be started on, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember exactly that kind of same hesitation when I started, where the app is huge. There's so much. I mean, you know, hundreds of files, and I just don't understand anything that's going on. Um, but looking at pull requests, sometimes there was, um, you know, a, a print statement that didn't need to be there anymore for debugging, or there was like a, a to-do comment, and you could just even comment like, hey, did you did, did this get fixed, or should this to-do be removed? And even that, you know, is constructive in itself just for cleaning up the code, and it also shows that you're trying to understand the code at the very least you're you're not uh, scrolling through the pr just to say oh yeah looks good and then approve it but you're you're taking the time to read the lines and make sure that there's nothing glaringly obvious i suppose if that makes sense um and you'll get you know 
more familiar with it as time goes by, but I'd say even from day one, you could start reviewing pull requests and not have the same hesitation that I had uh, to do that. Yeah, and if you're making a PR and it's not complete, like you didn't nail every single thing and you identified the things that you didn't nail, like as long as you mention them in in the description or even better, make a ticket for all the things you didn't do yet. Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't do unit tests yet. Um, I don't understand our unit testing infrastructure. I'll tackle that soon-ish. Here's a ticket for it so no one forgets. That is way more valuable than someone else pointing out, hey, where's the unit tests? Um, That's huge, yeah. So, like, anyone can identify what they're missing. Uh, and it sounds odd to point out, like, the flaws in what you just worked on. But being upfront about that means that you recognize that those flaws exist. Um, and two, you have a plan of attack to kind of make them better, right? Yeah, you're not... Um... It, yeah, I guess it just shows... Um... I don't know, foresight, I suppose, and saying, or at least, yeah, like like you said, recognizing um, maybe you don't have everything, but pull requests can get really unwieldy sometimes. So it, you know, uh, something that we're trying to work on is making sure that if you have some story that, or some bug that is massive, uh, it could probably be broken down into smaller, less complex parts, um, just for sanity's sake, both for PRs and for UX and everything, or sorry, uh, UX, QA, um, and every, and just kind of getting things down to sort of lowest possible, well, maybe not lowest possible, but a reasonably bite-sized bit of kind of work uh, to both fix and test and everything like that. So I don't know if that makes sense. No, definitely. Um. So moving on past Git, because I can talk about Git for hours as I have <laughs> in the past, uh, another great way to kind of impress without doing much work is to document your code. Um, and this can be as simple as just writing documentation headers for methods, uh, explaining what the method does, not just like retyping the name in a slightly different way, um, but making sure that that is more complete for all the work that you touch um, is going to leave a good impression because that means that one you are noting down all the aspects that you didn't necessarily think of like or didn't, you didn't necessarily think was uh, important to keep around long term uh, but you did anyways means that you future you and anyone else on the team will understand what your code is doing um, and this goes further into like line by line comments uh, for something more complex that you're doing. If it's not immediately clear why you're doing something in a certain order, outline that order. Um, go ahead and like help the reader along to better understand what the code you're trying to write is doing. Now, that's not an excuse to not write good variable names and stuff like that. Like sure. Use them in conjunction. Don't repeat the same uh, terms. Use different terms to expand... Um, expand... Like, a reader's understanding of what is going on yeah yeah i think we've talked about this before where um it, yeah in like the method documentation right you don't just kind of exactly regurgitate what the title of the method is but try to explain it in a different way and kind of get a different perspective or just a way of thinking about what the method is doing or just be more in depth as well um 
I think inline comments are nice, and obviously you don't need to do it for every single line of code, but if you do have something that, like for example, I can't remember exactly what it was, but about a month ago I'd say there was some uh, variable that um, was doing some math, either with time or file sizes or something, and I couldn't off the top of my head exactly figure out what each number kind of represented, but there was an inline comment that said, like, this is uh, I don't know, the amount of time times whatever, I don't know, I can't exactly remember, but it was nice for me to e easily uh, recognize that it was like actual legitimate math instead of some random numbers that were just, you know, being put into a result. I, I, I don't know how to explain mm -hmm. that well, but... Uh, yeah, th think nice. of if you have like uh, five times uh, some variable plus... Uh, zero point three times this other variable. And you're like, yeah. what's the five? What's the zero point three? What are these two other variables? Uh -huh. If you have a comment where you outline the formula, it's a times b plus c times d, where a is this, b is this, c is this, and d is this. Um, and if you outline that, it's going to be way easier for someone that's well reading that uh, to go ahead and know how to best uh, interpret it. Correct. Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. Yeah, so uh, once again, like documenting your code is something that is a skill in itself. Like you need to learn how to write and how to communicate to be able to do that effectively. Um, mm -hmm. But it's something that you can practice on your own because you will, in your own project, run across some code that you wrote two months ago and have no idea what it's doing. Um, but if you documented it, you might have an inkling of a better understanding of what it's doing. And if your documentation was just like off and you still need to spend another 10, 20 minutes to really understand it, then you can fix that documentation to better include like what you needed to rediscover um, and be cognizant of that because then you can go ahead and use what you learned there uh, for any documentation that you write in the future. Um, so it's something that just practice makes perfect. Um, and, uh, like one of my favorite sayings is practice makes permanent. If you don't try to make improvements while you practice, you, like you're going to be stuck in that old habit, um, that you've been practicing, that you keep practicing. So, uh, do try to improve along the way, um, to get to a better place. Because if you just practice without making any changes, then you're not really going to be better at it. Yeah, quality practice. I, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> my piano teacher always said perfect practice makes perfect, which kind of now seems like an oxymoron, but I get what she was getting at now. Um, and I, kind of in our notes here, we, we, it says if you, if you deal with something complex, write about it. And I think that's both in the documentation sense of like in line, but also, um, if you have, okay, so like, um, my boss, I think, was working on something with, like, a rendering pipeline. Um, and that's, like, way above my pay grade. But uh, he did some really cool... Um, he made just... We use Notion. Um, so we made, you know, kind of a more long-form documentation. But it's got um, graphics on, you know, how it uh, deals with transitions between two clips and everything. And it was very, like, a very good... Uh, reference to understand this very complex thing that I definitely don't understand, but could get a, a pretty good grasp on. Um, and I think that's like the biggest thing with documentation is it's helpful not for you 
now it's helpful for you in the future but also for everyone else as well so like the amount of time that you can save just between your entire team if they ever need to touch that code is huge because then they have some reference that they can kind of get a jump start on their understanding um to be able to you know uh, dive into the code a little bit easier um mm-hmm. i think a lot of what kind of we're we're talking about and what we will talk about is it comes down to like being proactive i suppose and not um waiting for someone to tell you to do it if that makes sense like obviously you don't know what you're going to work on in a month from now so you can't really be super proactive about that but if you are proactive about uh you know well i mean gets kind of a daily thing you kind of have to do that but like being proactive about documenting your code that would be awesome no one's Uh, gonna ask you to do it but if you do it people are gonna notice yeah but if you're like oh hey i just worked on this entire feature here's some documentation in notion or Again, at the very least, you're documenting in line, you're, you're organizing your code well and everything. Um, that's huge. I mean, that just shows, again, being um, taking the initiative and really putting yourself out there to say, I could have just wrote some really bad code that was, or maybe not bad code, but I could have not organized my code and I could have just kind of said, yep, it totally works. Have fun, QA. Uh, but if you write documentation in line, great. If you write documentation, uh, maybe you say you tell QA how they can test this more effectively or whatever, right steps that they need to do. There, there are a number of ways that you can be proactive and not, you know, and that doesn't mean you're going over your 40 hours a week, but it just means that you're making the best use of your time that you can while you are working. I I don't know Mm -hmm. if I'm necessarily getting the point across. But just yeah, so, making sure. Yeah, it's 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 even something you can do before you do the coding. So say your day is just starting. Mm-hmm. You're about to learn about push notifications. No one on the team knows about push notifications. No one's added it before. But we need to add push notifications to the app. Someone needs to go ahead and learn about it. Go ahead and start a document in Notion or a markdown document in a documentation folder of your repo. Um, and start taking notes, start outlining your idea, how you're going to go ahead and implement what you've learned from other things that you're researching. Make a design spec that's going to, or an engineering spec that's going to really outline how to implement this feature. Um, And as you're writing the code, modify that with any changes that need to happen, but you already have an outline. You know exactly what you need to do. It's been outlined for you by you. Um, You have all your notes. And those notes can then be shared with everyone else. Um, they don't just sit in your head. You don't need mm-hmm. to to like remember them afterwards. Like, okay, what were the steps I took? Um, so there are so many like use cases for this that, um, as Spencer said, like a complex rendering pipeline is an excellent example of this. Uh, your code is not going to outline that. The code is going to change over time. But if you have uh, a complete vision of like how this should look with no code involved, then you know what to aspire the code to be able to do in the future. If you make changes to the code and it doesn't match up with that, then you can raise some alarms and say like, hey, this is breaking our spec. Our spec was designed to do it this way and this no longer matches that. We should either A, notice that that's a bug or B, update the spec accordingly and rethink the design um, accordingly. Um, like oftentimes rewriting a feature like that is 
something that people might take months to do or it could take mm-hmm. a week if you have all the all the engineering spec out you have all the thinking on paper that can be something that's very very quickly done um if you do know exactly what you need to like do to get it going and getting it in the same place than it was before right so along the lines of like being proactive is I guess being not not afraid to like take on new things, if that makes sense, like getting outside of your comfort zone. I think that's been a huge um, help for me in learning the code base. But also um, it's been a really cool thing to if you think that you can do something like um, my boss will sometimes say, you know, does anyone want to take on X feature or whatever? And it's kind of a larger thing than just like a quick story or a bug fix, but it's, you know, a little bit more involved. Um, like that number pad, or I was working on like a new, uh, UI for, uh, loading up our automatic backups of projects and stuff. And, um, I think being proactive and and showing that you want to like learn uh, about the code base is more than like, yeah, I'm here to, you know, fix some bugs and, and do some stories, but like, it was cool to learn. I mean, I learned a bunch of Swift UI with this new UI, and that was cool because I hadn't touched Swift UI in six months or something. Um, not to say that I am the best and I am always proactive, but I'm just saying I think that's been something that has helped me as a developer grow is um, being willing to do new things and getting outside of that comfort zone. If you you know think you can do it, it's within the realm of possibility. It's fun to continue to learn things <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. that thing is no definitely um and like no one's gonna blame you in that process for if you say hey like i would love to work on this can someone be like my buddy to work on this and yeah. that like you don't like, just be there for to for me to like bounce questions off of be my rubber ducky uh like get some advice like get someone involved to pair with you um, that they're not going to be focusing on this, but and they will be like your point of contact. And it'll be a lot easier if you ask and then like someone says, hey, I'll do it. Um, then if like you just randomly poke different people and they're like, I'm not in charge of this. Like, leave me alone. I'm working on my own thing. <laughs> yeah. um, like that, that it's easy to like fall into that trap of like people might think that, but more, more or less everyone's more more than willing to help out someone new that's joining their team to get acclimated because then it means they'll be more effective um so if you proactively like say like hey i want to do this i know nothing about it um can someone help me out if i get stuck and then someone says hey i'll do it then you're in a perfect situation to tackle something new um something that you are maybe unfamiliar with maybe the someone that uh, said, I-, I can help you out with that is an expert in that part and they can guide you down how to do it properly. Um, so maybe you create a draft PR which just has your branch on it. Like you didn't even write up the PR yet, but you can say, hey, can you look at this? Is this the right way of going about it? And they say, no, 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 no. You need to do it this way. Then you can go ahead and course correct immediately. Rebase, no one sees the bad code anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, yeah. So... Uh, there's there's definitely great ways to go ahead and do that super effectively. Yeah. Um, on the topic of being proactive, one thing no one is ever proactive about is writing unit tests. 
Um, and, <laughs> You're right. And it is, it is somewhat unfortunate because they can be super useful um, for certain things. Like, yes, for a view controller, uh, the look and feel of like where the buttons are, I cannot agree more. Like a unit test for that is not the best. Uh, but if you do write unit tests that will go and test functionality like of said render pipeline, right, to keep using yep. that excellent example, um, you should have unit tests for that. In fact, you're maybe not going to even have a UI to test that properly while you're writing it that first time, mm-hmm. in which point the unit test will be like an excellent way of testing all sorts of different scenarios. What happens if we start with this? Let's just write a quick test. Um, and if you write your code to be testable in that way, you're going to get a lot more out of those unit tests than you would otherwise. Um, so once again, it's something that takes like experience to know like when and how to do well. But it is also something that um, as you as you do it more and more often, you get more and more comfortable doing it, right? A- another easy win, I would say. Um, is like as you're as you're joining the code, uh, the code base, like notice little things. How are people aligning stuff? What kind of naming mm. conventions are people using? Um, and just acclimate to that. Um, don't force your opinion necessarily. Just go ahead and say like, okay, I noticed everyone's using three spaces. I think this is dead, very very wrong. But I'm not going to even point it out because the whole project <laughs> is using three spaces uh, for tabs. Um, so just go ahead and go with the flow. Don't introduce four spaces. Like, uh, uh-huh. once again, be proactive about noticing and adjusting your, uh, preferences to, uh, go well with that. If you notice like new lines don't have any spaces on them. Um, and that is something that is consistent throughout the project, then go ahead and like follow that rule for that project. Um, if there's a lincher in place, this makes it extra easy and, uh, less argumentative um, and it's it's something that doesn't take very much effort it's more of an observational thing like observe then react uh, to to something uh, rather than like just doing and then being told um, always feels uh, like you're you stepped out you you stepped out of your comfort zone you felt good and then they got they got pushed you right back in for something that doesn't matter in the end which is generally like formatting and stuff like that yeah um both i and others have had questions about um code style um a lot of the code is consistent but as we're like moving into writing more swift for example um there are a couple things that just maybe haven't been clearly defined um and so i i and others have brought up you know I'm in this situation, like, for like the easiest one that I can think of is like, if you have a guard let and the else is just a return, do you put it on the same line or a new line? Super easy, but you know, want to be consistent or whatever it is. Um, and we, we've had conversations and I think it ended up in, I don't think we had it before this, but we, we now have a style guide, which is great because that kind of clears up the air and you're just like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll follow this. Um, but I think along the lines of, of code style and just kind of in general is, you know, don't be afraid to ask people, especially as a mm-hmm. junior, especially as a mid-level. And I think probably especially as a senior as well. Like it doesn't matter. Um, like Dimitri said earlier, you're you're not the 
master of every domain in the app. You might be, you know, kind of the expert in in one place, but um, if you're unsure about something, it's definitely better to kind of get the general maybe consensus or just knowledge of someone else. Um, so asking for help is, I mean, I think I've talked about this in general, but I think the community in general, but also, you know, probably, hopefully within your company as well is a safe place for you to ask questions and you don't have to feel judged about like, Oh, why are you asking this? You should know this, but, um, hopefully you can feel comfortable in asking for help when, when you get stuck with something or as something as simple as, uh, what, what should the style be on whatever this part of the language is. Mm-hmm. And you might be pointed to a style guide that you didn't even know existed, yeah. um, which can help you, uh, be better at that. <clears throat> Um, one of my favorite things, uh, about like asking questions like that is finding out when no one made a decision, but like something like a linter just enforced anyways, um, uh-huh. you can go ahead and say like, Hey, this rule seems stupid. Uh, so for instance, one of those was, uh, if you use triple slashes for doc comments, um, in Xcode by default, it will use a proportional width font. Um, and what that means is you'll have like more readable text that's not in monospace for pros. Um, and I love using those to document the code in between because then it's super clear what's a comment, what's not a comment based on just like how wide the characters are. Um, and your eyes just like can glue to either one like variation, like all the code that's in different colors or the other variation, which is all the text that looks different. Um, and you can go ahead and read through that very effectively. Now the linter that we were using by default, it was like, hey, you're not allowed to use doc comments inside the method body. Oh. And I'm like, this is a stupid rule. So I brought it up. And I said, hey, everyone, I think this is a stupid rule. Uh, we should change <laughs> it. And everyone's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, no one had any problem with it. Because no one was necessarily using that aspect. Because it didn't matter at the end of the day. Um, <clears throat> another stupid rule um, is, like, line limits. When do line limits come up? Well, like... Sure, you might have a very tiny screen, but most of us have like 27 inch screens. Um, like except a for lot Fernando. of us, huh? Except Fernando, except yeah. Except for Fernando, yes. Um, so, like, most people have their editors to wrap, which means that you're never going to even hit these issues to begin with. Mm. Um, and then, like, at the end of the day, you're going to have some documentation that is going to be a lot better as one line because then when it reflows as you change the width of your editor, like that's going to be a lot easier to read. Whereas if you insert arbitrary line breaks and then you make your editor too small, now you have like broken lines all over the place. And none of that makes sense. Um, so a linter is not absolute. It's just trying to play by some very basic rules. And you like feel free to break them as long as you have a good argument for it. Um, so like don't be don't necessarily think that just because a linter is in place that nothing can change. Um, yeah. It absolutely can. Um, and you bringing up, like, if you bring up a rule that makes sense, uh, like, um, let me try, I can't, I can't think of one, like, off the top of my uh, head. Um, but uh, say uh, someone sets a rule in place that uh, you shouldn't check if count is not equal to zero, you should use dot is empty. Um, like, that's a code that makes sense. And you think that, oh, uh, I want to be able to do this um don't necessarily like think about it before you bring it up make an argument for why it should be a good idea to break one of those rules um or another one is like uh 
explicitly unwrapping optionals with exclamation mark. Say if there's mm-hmm. a rule in the code base to not do that, there might be a good reason. Maybe they want you to uh, always guard let those and then fatal error if there's an issue so that way you can go ahead and know like what what should be done if that uh, assumption is not met. Um, so think about why someone might have, like put yourself in their shoes, why they might have uh, made that decision um or ask um and if you ask first and then suggest later that's often a lot safer to do because then you can get on the uh some input first uh Mm -hmm. before suggesting the change um but that's also a little bit dangerous because you might get some retroactive thought process that's coming in where they might not have had an opinion but now they're forced to have an opinion so they're making one up um which like it can get in your way so there are different nuances to go about here but uh, don't don't necessarily think that a lyncher is absolute. It can absolutely change. Uh, there are many good reasons why it should change. Um, and uh, and if you can just stick to the style of the project uh, in general, then you're gonna you're gonna bump heads with a lot fewer people that way. Um, and that's going to make it a more pleasant experience in the long run. Uh, until something really does get on your nerves uh, and then you can go ahead and suggest like hey i really think we should change this uh one great example of that is uh xcode by def like by default if you have a long list of arguments um if you were used to objective c you might have put a line break after every argument and that will align it with the parentheses um in swift which will make things have a lot of big empty blocks of space on the left and everything will be over to the right of the editor, which means that if your editor is too small, namely in uh, PR reviews, everything is going to be like hard to read as a result. Um, Spencer, you're probably used to this uh, alternative way of doing it from uh, server-side Swift, where instead of putting the new lines after every argument, you put them before every argument, so the arguments align to the left. Um, so like, say you have uh, an init with five arguments, you say init uh, or my type open parentheses new line, then you're going to be aligned to the left, just indented by one, and you have your first argument, comma, new line, second argument, comma, new line, third argument, done, new line, and the parentheses on the, is on the last line all on its own, and that makes like a block of text. Um, and that is a very different format than what people are used to, but it lends itself very well to Swift, where you have lots of arguments, lots of chained uh, nested things, um, and it works quite well in that context, but because it's something that the server-side Swift community has kind of come up with on their own, and then the default Xcode style was something that um, Objective-C developers on iOS were just used to for a very long duration of time, um, it's it's still taking some change to like convince everyone that that's the better way to do it. Um, just because like you end up with a lot fewer long lines and a lot more easily read larger blocks of code. Yeah. Yep. I think a lot of this is just like, if, if you think it would be better that way, like you said, like if it makes reading pull requests easier, then bring it up. And that's another example of being proactive is, is all of this conversation about you know, if you feel like there is a reason to have uh, the ability to force unwrap something or whatever it is, um, you're being proactive and you're you're kind of trying to. Uh, obviously, you're not doing it just to be proactive, but you think it, there's a legitimate benefit to whatever you're going to bring up. It shows that you care about the code base. 
Yeah. Um, like, to butt heads on stuff like that is... Or, uh, like, on how to implement something properly. And if you really think that there's, like, a downside to something that someone is doing and you care about it, like, yes, you might be disagreeing, but it's useful to point out that, like, you're disagreeing not because you think you're right, but because you care about where the code base is going. Um, and it's it's hard to notice that in the heat of the argument, um, but it is something that that is important to remember and to point out, like, especially when you're not part of that argument, um, to, to kind of, like, settle things um, in a way that you're not attacking another developer for uh, the way they think something should be done. You're really just caring about, like, how to best improve things. Yeah. And bringing this back to kind of... Uh, we're, you know, so this is all really good information, I think, in general, but especially, you know, if you're, I'm kind of assuming here that you're, this is maybe your first developer job, you know, you're, you're a junior or whatever. These are all things that you may run into quickly or you may not, right? But a lot of maybe you, instead of saying, oh, I think the code style should be this way, you could say, why is the code style this way? And again, you're, you're asking good questions. You're, you're trying to, um, draw out like the institutional knowledge that these people with more experience than you have and you're trying to uh improve yourself but also you know in that process you could come up with a better solution or something just because you're a junior as well doesn't mean that you can't have these conversations and i think it's important to feel like you have the ability to bring things up if they need to be brought up mm-hmm. if that makes no sense. definitely so um and on that topic of communication uh another great thing you can do that's like code adjacent completely is just communicate what you're going to be working on say when you're going to be picking up a new ticket um like it might seem like superfluous because like hey i assigned myself the ticket doesn't that say everything well no no one's watching that ticket no one is gonna like notice that something is changing there but if you in slack go ahead and say like hey i'm gonna pick up this ticket um like, that is an excellent point in time for someone to say, like, hey, I have some thoughts. Uh, let's discuss mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah. And they can then go ahead and share them before you start writing any code rather than after you wrote your PR and things are now incompatible with um, the way that they may have wanted to tackle that. Uh, so, like, it's just a, it's an easy little thing uh, just to, like, communicate your intention. But it is very worth it in the long run, I think. So this may or may not be a controversial take. I'm not sure. Um, but we have a very healthy stand-up meeting every day. And I actually find it to be very, very helpful um, for that reason of being able to communicate what you're doing. And we're really good about, you know, taking less than 30 seconds a person. And it goes by in, you know, we have it at 1150 and I'm out to lunch before 12 every day. So it's always a very healthy, quick standup, but there are always times that, not always, not every day, but there are often times that, uh, you know, someone will say, oh, I'm working on this ticket that, you know, this is what it is. I'm working on some bug. And uh, I've gotten, uh, you know, Slack messages from someone saying, oh, I saw that you might want to take a look at this or whatever, just kind of as an offhand. But you don't have to say, oh, I'd love any feedback that anyone has, but oftentimes it's kind of unprompted, like, oh, I saw that the other day, you know, here's some information that might help you. So uh, communication is good in whatever form you have, whether it's in a stand-up or like Dimitri said, just 
in your develop, you know, developer Slack channel or whatever, um, could be huge. And, and again, letting people know what you're working on, but also getting good, um, help or information from, from other people. Mm-hmm. And especially if your standup is ineffective, like if you're the new person on the team, you have no ability to change how standups are done. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is, that is someone's opinion that they like enforce and that's the, just the way it's going to be. Um, however, uh, if your standups are ineffective, meaning they do take more than 30 seconds, as Spencer said, like a side note, a standup should be something that's super short, gets to the point of like what you did yesterday, what you're working on today, and then move on. Um, you're not discussing how to implement something. You can do that after the standup. Once everyone has gone, let other people sign off. Um, and then like tackle those issues, like say, Hey Spencer, can we, can we uh, stick around to talk about X? And if anyone else wants to talk about it, like stick around as well. You're not Um, holding up the entire team. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I have had like weekly meetings where it's just 40 minutes of, Oh, let's go through like these tickets one by one that touch like impact one person each. Um, and it just takes so long. Uh, and then at the end, it's like, okay, let's air out uh, a week's worth of like, uh, <laughs> like stuff that we've been working on. And that takes minutes each. And then by the end of it, it's like, the amount of time that I was needed for that was less than maybe two minutes out of the entire hour. And it is draining. Um, yeah. like no, that's like, why but... people say they hate meetings is because totally. it just feels like you lost a portion of your time it's not that you could have been working on the, for this job it's you literally lost a piece of like you in that process and that like kills people little by little death by a thousand yeah. cuts it's literally the this could have been an email or a slack message mm-hmm. yeah yeah um and so in those cases especially in those cases like do communicate over slack like saying like hey like i'm gonna start doing this um let me know if anyone uh, if anyone wants to help out with it, um, because if you don't have that that quick stand up in the morning where it does take like thirty seconds to go like over everyone, um, then you, one you have no visibility into whatever anyone else is doing, even though you went through that hour meeting um, like throughout <laughs> the week. It's just like who knows, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, two like no one knows what you're doing. Like it's just kind of uh, an unknown as to like what everyone on the team is doing so you can be extra um effective by communicating those intentions uh separately um but if you do have one of those stand-ups like be clear be concise don't stick around don't ask questions as to like how to fix something just say like hey yesterday i did all these things like if any of those impacts you i'm the person that changed them um that's basically what you're saying and today i plan on working on these things um like if any of the if any of you have thoughts on any of those let me know that's what you're basically saying in that process asynchronously yeah um (laughs) yeah don't let me know like right now it's just like yeah putting putting a little bookmark or a little flag for that other person to go ahead and sync up with you um and then move on to someone else um that's that's like how to use that most effectively and yes although it might take like five minutes five days a week or ten minutes five days a week like yes that might may add up to an hour but you're gonna feel like you're wasting everyone's time a whole lot less in that process so um if if you do end up in those situations and you are the new person on the team and you have had better stand-ups in the past 
um, and your manager is the one that like runs those stand ups, and you do have a one on one with them one weekend, bring that up. That's your only <laughs> chance to bring it up yeah, be good. and say like, hey, this stand up felt super ineffective. Um, in the past, I've done it. I've done things uh, this way, and it went a lot more smoothly. Um, again, I don't know. I don't want to like uh, change things if you have a different reason as to why you're doing this. Like, maybe they're doing that because no one was paying attention to anything. Um, but they may use that input that you just gave them uh, to change things a little bit. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, indeed. Um, similarly. Uh, say you just finished a topic, right? Uh, you just finished an issue. Um, you're ready to move on to something else. You can either A, pick up the next thing that's on the backlog, right? Or B, something you can do is ask if anyone needs help. Um, like staying with our, our theme of being proactive. This is something I, I, a, a trick that I learned very recently um, is most of the time no one says anything, so you're good to move on. It gives you a quick 10-minute break of peace uh, as you wait. But just, like, put that message out there, like, saying, hey, I just finished what I was working on. Does anyone need help with anything um, that I can help, like, you get yourself unblocked? Um, and if anyone needs help, they'll, they'll speak up. Uh, if no one needs help, you just won yourself a free 10-minute break on the clock. <laughs> nice. Nothing better. Um, and... Uh, then you have time to clear your mind, like browse Twitter, do whatever you need to do to to get ready to tackle the next topic on the thing. And no one is going to complain that you were there wasting 10 minutes asking if anyone needs your help. Like not a problem at all. Um, so it's like an, it's the, the biggest uh, win to teamwork, I think, that I've like recently picked up. Um, and uh, I highly recommend everyone... Uh, use this this uh, quick trick quick trick to win ten minutes of your time back several times a day. Um, yeah, I'm curious to, to see what you think about that um, because I, I learned it just really... recently and I thought it was like, yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, plus, I get a ten minute a free ten minute break um, that I'm not complaining about. <laughs> yeah, it's like a work life hack. I love that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna try that. I mean, I think from from my position. I'm I'm a lot lower on the totem pole, if that makes sense. And so I think my help is less effective or mm -hmm. my potential help is much less effective where someone would actually take me up on that. But um, I think it's a cool idea and I'll, I will try it out and I will report back. Uh, I mean, it could absolutely backfire. Someone might say, hey, um, I'm almost done with this feature. Can you write the unit test? Like it can totally like <laughs> true, go the wrong true. way. Um, but you will learn about that feature. It like very well by writing those unit tests you'll probably break their code in ways they weren't expecting because you're a different like head on your shoulders and you think differently than them um so yes although you might end up doing something you don't necessarily enjoy you will learn through the process and everyone will thank you and think better of you for being that yes. person that does that especially if yes, no one exactly. does it you will like seem like oh this golden this golden hire that like although you don't know very much about like how to fix hacks and ui kit and you don't have 20 years of experience um putting semicolons on stuff like you are more valuable in very different ways um and yeah. maybe you only get like by building up all this 
good karma maybe you like squeeze down your daily hours from eight hours to seven hours to six hours because you're more valuable as a result uh and no one will complain that you're like doing less um because you're doing more for everyone and you're being more effective in the process yeah i think it's cool um similarly if you are stuck ask for help like yes it's it's one of the easiest things that uh like no one wants to do because it admits defeat and admitting defeat is like something that's hard hard wired inside of us that like oh if we admit defeat like my whole village is gonna be taken from me. i don't know like whatever <laughs> sort of primal uh thing prevents us from doing this uh it is not necessary anymore in today's day and age uh and maybe the kids do it better i don't know uh, but yeah, admit defeat, like ask for help. It will help you get unstuck, help you be more effective with your time and not like turn in circles and spiral into doom um, and be able to fix what you need to fix, right? Yep. I think it's huge. I, I get stuck all the time, dude, man. I, I mean, I was stuck on a freaking alert controller yesterday. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, I get stuck on stuff all the time and it, it is hard to admit, you know, and kind of reach out. But a lot of times, um, someone just has better domain knowledge of whatever it is. And you... let's see, take advantage of that for yourself in the present of getting unstuck, but also, you know, if they have a better solution, that's probably a bug that you don't ever have to fix because the bug doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, or even a workaround. Like, hey, the, yeah. the, this, oh, yeah, I know, alert controller, that one breaks in this particular situation. Oh, that's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, let's not use alert controller. Let's fake it with something else. Um, yeah. Like, that will save you tons of time uh, just to get that confirmation um, or just to indicate to the powers that be that are kind of controlling your backlog, like, hey, this is not fixable in the way that we wanted to fix it. Um, how do we go about changing course correcting? Um, because you can always course correct. You can cancel a feature. Um, like even one that you promise it's, it's something that you can do. Uh, so if you discuss that and you get others involved, then it's going to be a lot easier to do proactively than, uh, at uh, like five days before shipping when, uh, everyone thought, Oh, this would be easy. And this is like the one hardest thing that is going Uh to be impossible. And, like, as a final tip, and again, this is another one that I learned very recently. When you are suggesting, uh, or when you need an opinion about, like, how to go about solving this, you're like, hey, I don't know what to do to do X. Never ask an open-ended question. Always try to have, like, a default. Like, I'm thinking about doing it this way. Does anyone have any problems Hmm. with that? What this does is, once again, uh, like I mentioned before, where, like, if you ask someone, like, hey, why did we decide to do it this way for the linter? Um, And no one made a decision yet. But then, as you ask that question, you manifest a reason in other people's minds out of nowhere. Like, they didn't necessarily have one, but they were Mm -hmm. asked, so they came up with one. Um, So, similar to that, if you go ahead and start a discussion with a solution in mind... Then you geared the discussion towards that immediately. You've uh, seeded that uh, thought in everyone. Uh, and therefore, you can be a lot more effective in making decisions, especially when constraints are tight. Maybe 
Uh, there's not a lot of time, and there's like three ways of doing something. You think that there's one way that's slightly better than everything else, um, but you're like not even 100% sure of that. That's okay. If you ask and say like, hey, I'm going to be doing it this way. Anyone have any problems with that? Then like if anyone really does have any problems with that, they can bring it up. Uh, otherwise, more often than not, they will automatically uh, gear towards what you suggested because you've seated that uh in their head and therefore they can go ahead and acclimate to the specifics of that instead of the whole general question which can take you wildly off course um because you might not have asked the question properly or this or that yeah or Um, they have to like form their own opinion about mm -hmm. it right exactly Um, yeah like on the topic of like linting and and code style um someone on, on our team had like very strong opinions about the indentation of cases in a switch statement. And so, like like you said, they brought up, like, their sort of default, like, their proposed solution of, like, I would like it to be like this. And I was like, I don't care. That's fine. I'll do it. So <laughs> unless you have a strong opinion, um, like you said, just that default could be like, yeah, that sounds good to me. I don't really care what the indentation on a case is. So let's go with that you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i think that's a good tip um i've seen it in the wild and it definitely works this week's episode of code completion is once again brought to you by super easy timer super easy timer is a quick and easy to use timer app for your mac it's completely text-based so you can type in english what you want 20 minutes or 5 p.m hit enter and instantly start a timer the timer understands english text to create update and start a new timer you can quickly change an active countdown even while it's still counting down Uh, There are simple keyboard shortcuts to reset or pause, no menus, no sliders, just use English to control your timer. We want to thank Super Easy Timer for sponsoring our show. Search for Super Easy Timer on the Mac App Store today to give it a try. So, Spencer, uh, last week you promised uh, us internally a mini review corner for an an electricity usage meter, um, but you could not find it. (laughs) um so like where did this device go we must hear the inside scoop oh yes yes it's such a scoop yes i um i could not find it scooped under the couch (laughs) i looked everywhere for it that day i was looking for like 15 minutes could not find it i only found it yesterday and it was under my couch somehow not sure how that happened uh so i've got it here um in my quest to know how much energy is either being used well, yeah, in being used uh, for my devices, for which knowledge I will probably do nothing about, uh, I have now bought a energy usage meter for just things that plug into a normal wall outlet instead of like nice. a USB uh, device. So uh, my my thing with this was to see, um, I, I finally put in uh, a couple speakers in my ceiling um most notably in my bedroom because i listen to music when i sleep um and i've just been using this like kind of crappy uh sound bar that i got from best buy and when you turn it on it makes this loud beep when it connects to my phone it just kind of sucks so i i put in these ceiling speakers and i have it just connected to an old um well it's connected to an app but it it uh then for the sound it it uses uh, an airport express, uh, which I think that's one of the cool things that Apple did was they made it <clears throat> so that airport expresses can be used as airplay to, 
um, receivers. So I've just got a an aux cable plugged on the back of that, goes in the amp, and it you know runs um, to the um, to the ceiling speaker. But with that is the the amp control of like volume, turning it on and off, and everything is you need to put in like these while you know like a, a light switch panel with an ir remote and it's just kind of a pain so it has a serial port so i made a, a quick vapor app to uh just parse the serial output and uh send serial uh yeah uh, send a serial command input command yeah, yeah. uh back to it to control it that way and i just made a quick app with swift ui on my phone um to do that but my my question was like i have to run the vapor server on something so what is the um you know what is the energy usage of that and so i have this old um 2012 mac uh, mini that i just threw it on um and it works great just plug it's you know the serial cable serial the usb cable and so yeah i really bought it for this but it can you know be used for pretty much anything so I don't think it has the stats on it anymore, uh, but it's kind of cool. It'll just, um, you plug something into it and it'll tell the wattage. You can even like put in how much your energy costs and it will, you know, time it and it can count and everything. I'm not using that, but it uses like six or seven watts at the most, which I was pretty surprised about because it's like a 2012 Mac mini. It's just on an Intel chip. I mean, I guess, you know, it's just like this two core chip, but it's like I think I calculated it out to be like fifteen dollars a year if I left it on all the time. So it's like it's nothing, but it's mm-hmm. a cool uh, thing to just like have around and see. You know, plug this into your TV or your I don't know anything really, and just see how much usage it's, how much wattage it's bringing out. Again, the information I don't know what I'd do with it because I'd be running the Mac Mini anyway. But I just thought it would be fun to know. So. No, that's that's excellent. I just realized that I do the same exact thing with the UPSs that I have around the house. Um, oh. So I, I use them more to like see how much energy is being drawn uh, more than their backup capabilities. Um, and I, I found that uh, like I just realized that I did that once you were showing me the little meter. I'm like, that screen looks familiar <laughs> <laughs> of like a, a, a wattage readout. And I'm like, what what was I doing to do that? And I was like, was it a, a light switch? Yeah, I had a light switch in the past where like when you plugged it in, it like measured uh, like energy usage. And then I was like, oh, wait, all the UPSs I littered throughout the house, they, they will read out like wattage. And that's the setting that I set them to because I'm more interested in that than anything. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, like having some little device that you can go ahead and use rather than like hunking around a UPS um, <laughs> is definitely like a great thing. Just from like a curiosity thing, like you said, it only costs fifteen dollars a year, so you're not going to do anything about it. If you calculated yeah. that out to a thousand dollars a year, you are immediately going to go ahead and be like, mm, "Let's not leave this on twenty four seven, or let's get some other device uh, to go ahead and have that um, responsibility." Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, fifteen dollars a year. If it was thirty dollars a year, I wouldn't do anything. But you know, if it was running at 95 watts all the time i'd be like mm, <laughs> not sure if this is worth it um mm-hmm. just looking here it was 22 dollars on amazon yeah so uh kind of a cool thing just to see what's going on and, and you um, can use it in multiple places yeah exactly and it 
is not you know filled with heavy lead acid batteries Mm -hmm. yeah and it's way easier than having someone outside that's like looking at the meter and trying to understand how the how the disc spins correlates to how many uh kilowatts are being used and then timing for like five minutes is like okay have the machine on is it is it spinning faster (laughs) (laughs) yeah that would that would be a pain (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's another way of doing it if you if you need to know how many kilowatt hours something is using get a reading at the start of the hour and a reading at the end of the hour with a device like included or not and you can get a rough idea as long as you don't turn on anything else (laughs) yeah but yeah so yeah that's that's awesome i I might want to get myself one of those um just because as you said like throughout the house you just don't know how much everything is using um Mm -hmm. you have those energy saver stick energy or the yellow, the yellow stick energy yeah, star. There you yeah. go. Uh, stickers that everyone like claims. Oh, my device uses this much, and it's like, who knows if that's true or not? Um, who knows yeah. if that's true in your environment? Like, you might be in a hotter environment or colder environment. Your fridge might be overworking or underworking. Like, you really don't know. Uh, so the only way to know is to to measure. Um, and this is a great way of being in control of that, just an extra little tiny bit. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I don't know why I never really thought about this because like if you ever go up to uh, so okay, bought a new TV. I think I said that a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really realize how much like energy usage a TV takes. It's like a couple hundred watts when it's on, and it makes sense. TV gets hot. It's, that's a lot of LEDs to push. But I never really thought about that. Then I looked up the wattage. I'm trying to find it now. I don't know if I can. Oh, of what they claimed. Find it. No, it, I mean it's it's what they claimed. Yeah, okay, so general power consumption is 61 watts, but it's up to 203 watts, and that's, like, kind of a non-trivial amount. I mean, obviously, you're not running it all the time, but that's kind of a lot of uh, energy just for a TV, or at least it seems like it to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking, mm-hmm. like, CRTs probably didn't take up much. Not really I sure what my point of reference more. was. Do you think so? <laughs> probably. I guess powering that electron gun, maybe. I mean, you're just, like, throwing electrons out. You're not even you're reusing them. <laughs> good point yeah <laughs> i have no clue don't 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 quote me on that um now i have to see <laughs> but but yeah like i think my tv uses about 100 watts um so it definitely depends on the type of tv um yeah. and what it's doing how hot it gets like that's where most of the energy goes is how hot something gets can it can yeah. it serve as a space heater um is is a good indication of is it using too many watt too many watts um yeah before you go ahead and test this thing on like toasters make sure it's like rated for for like 1500 yeah. watts because a, a toaster um or a microwave is really gonna use up a lot of wattage um for a very short amount of time so don't think that like oh this is like eating into your uh annual energy bills it's probably not because you use a microwave for 30 seconds once yeah. or twice a day most times unless you have a family of like seven kids and then it's like probably chaos um but like think about think about that in terms of like before you start like panicking i was like oh this thing uses so much it's like well think about it per year like how often do you use it mm-hmm. multiply it out um and generally it's it's not so bad uh things like an ac yeah. are going to kill you kill your energy bill tremendously more than um anything that you plug into the wall um or space heater space heater is also going to kill it yeah, um, yeah because it's on all the time and it's not something that's turning off and it's slowly melting your outlets uh without you even knowing it so 
uh, great. Yeah, that's actually something I was surprised about. This can do up to 1,875 watts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. so it's basically rated for the plug type. Yeah, um, yeah. So if 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 your if device has a plug that then... does not fit into that, then it's it's probably not made for that use case. Well, with all that out of the way, as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released, and feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who's at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye! So, hot off the presses, uh, the EU is, like, deciding uh, this is going to be how Apple needs to run their business from now on. Um, yeah. And they, they've they made a whole bunch of declarations that are, like, due in six months or whatever. Uh, and if you don't agree, it's going to be, like, $80 billion that Apple's going to need to pay. Um, so, yeah, what do you think? <laughs> Yeah, interesting. I mean, we've seen similar behavior from the EU before where they're like, oh, you need to change up your your chargers and stuff. And that I don't really think has changed at all. But I mean, Apple has, you know, potentially is going to like circumvent that with just not having a charging port. Uh, as far as this one goes, not really sure how they could get out of it if it does get passed. Uh, kind of interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, like the... um. What was it? it would, the The penalty is like ten percent of their uh, global revenue. Revenue, yeah. yeah. So it's not like hey, it's a million dollar fine. Oh, look, you just made two million dollars in the time it took for us to fine you. So uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting if it does get passed. It seems it, it kind of preliminary. I don't even think they've nailed down everything about it. But if it does go through, then. Um, you know, we'll get uh, interoperability between basic interoperability between iMessage and WhatsApp and Telegram and yeah, whatever. So, yeah, so l- let's go through them because I think yeah. there's, they're all interesting and they're all like unconnected and mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, a catch all for everything. And I think someone pointed out like, hey, EU, like there are no cell phone makers in the EU anymore. In the EU. Like, um, should you not... be the one that's making all these rules? <laughs> um, so fair. yeah, the, there's a, there's a lot to consider there. Um, not to mention, I think also um, I forgot what I was, what I was gonna say. Uh, yeah, any case, let, let's go through these one by one and and see like what seems reasonable and what does not. Um, so the first one is gatekeepers will have to ensure that users have the right to unsubscribe from core platform services under similar conditions to subscription. So I think Apple already does this for the most part. In fact, they're probably the Mm -hmm. best at this. Um, I don't know um, who this is directly pointed to. Uh, So that's something that that I guess they don't need to care much about. Yeah. Um, Um, For the most important software, for example, web browsers, 
they will have to not require that software by default on installation of the operating system. So not including Safari, basically, or, um, uh, and Apple's actually pretty good about this too, where you are actually able to, well, delete, delete the apps change, yeah. at the very least. Um, you don't, I mean, they probably come in iOS by default, so that wouldn't be very hard. Um, yeah, but like, although, I, I don't, I don't think Apple should be forced to like boot Safari from the OS. Like, oh, you download a new thing. It's like, oh, there's no yeah. web browser. Um, by the way, the app store is also a web browser, so you can't download apps. Like, sorry. Yeah, you're going to need an AOL CD. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to That goes to your lightning online. port, by the way. Um, Ooh, lightning to CDR reader. Sweet. <laughs> no, just the CD. Just jam it in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so the thing with this is like, um, does this also include app stores like is this kind of where they're getting like oh now apple's gonna have to open up um multiple app stores or let them install another app store i'm not quite sure if it falls under this or not yeah i think it's mostly on the the past like microsoft and internet explorer kind of messaging where right okay there is a monopoly of one web browser and everyone is kind of forced to adapt to it uh, and therefore, Microsoft is no longer allowed to offer that by default. Um, I th- I do think this feels a bit more overreachy than it needs to. Like as as you mentioned, like Apple is doing a fairly okay job at saying like, hey, you can use other web browsers even though they're based on WebKit. Um, mm-hmm. They have to be based on WebKit. Like this makes no mention as far as like how things need to be based or what kind of code they are needing to use. So presumably well, I, none of that will change. Um, I think no one in, you know, none of the regulators even know anything about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's an interesting uh, thing. Uh, the next one is ensuring the interoperability of their instant messaging services, basic functionalities. Uh, again, like iMessage interrupts with SMS and that interrupts with everything else. So I don't know what this means. Does it mean that they have to rewrite iMessage so anyone can plug into iMessage? Uh, does this more mean that WhatsApp needs to be rewritten to like work with SMS? Uh, does yeah, that I... mean that WhatsApp needs to make cell phones because SMS only works on cell phones? I don't understand. I, w- I like... would assume that it's probably like, without going through sms but like a data only protocol general protocol that everyone uses would just be for my the assumption. eu <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would like, suck if if they get that but we don't mm-hmm. like again what are the chances and i think these chances climb every single time this topic comes up that apple just says eh, EU is not worth it yeah i think like, that's fair I think this, they could totally do it. At, at a certain point, it feels like uh, there's like so much extra stuff to do for the EU that maybe they just decide it's not worth it. Hey, you want an iPhone? Go to the UK and buy one. Um, it's not too far. Uh, the UK would probably be very happy with that with that uh, yeah. like <laughs> mentality. So I know it probably won't happen, but it could happen. Is it? It's probably cheaper than ten billion or yeah, eighty billion dollars of uh, lost revenue recurringly. Uh, so, and yeah. the EU can't do anything if Apple's not doing business there. You know, um, 
So I really don't know. Yeah. Let's let's go to the um, next one. All right. Allow app developers fair access to supplementary functionalities of smartphones, for example, the NFC chip. And I think that was actually something that we didn't have uh, access to for a while while Apple did. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, they make the device. They are controlling the hardware. Why should all software be able to control all the hardware? Yeah, that's no, on I'm the just device? saying <laughs> is that like I, I couldn't remember if that was an example where. Yeah. No, and that, that's fair. Like, should should all apps be able to control the battery like processing uh-huh. module on the yeah. device to like <laughs> eke fair. out extra juice? Like, is that something that is now allowed by this? Like, can I overclock my A fifteen? Yeah. Um. Like, sure. Like, yeah. More power to the people. Um. But is this going to be something that's good? for everyone or is it just going to be like an unnecessary rule where now instead of getting extra chips that do gain more functionality over time like the (sighs) nfc chip where it was just for apple pay originally but now Mm. it can be used for all sorts of different uses even on older devices like instead of that being the case and maybe apple just does not add any new uh functionality anymore because like they're afraid that they need to write an sdk yeah that i mean like you yeah, one, we can't do anything with uh, until last year. They added like, oh, oh. you can start communicating um, with this specific chip, um, and that was all that they like added. Maybe there's more that they're going to be adding like down the line, uh, and maybe that allowed them to add the U one chip very early on. Maybe like them needing to have full access to every chip on the motherboard is going to prevent them from doing that in the future i can definitely see that scenario maybe i'm just pessimistic i don't know well yeah i think that either because this is just um an article or it's in its early sort of formation stage of this whole thing it's like where does that stop because you're right like okay supplementary functionalities is very broad (laughs) like NFC chip, okay, cool. But like you said, like the battery, or uh, can I overclock the the CPU or the memory? Like, where do what? Where's the line? Where does it stop, if mm-hmm. at all? Can I control yeah. the individual SMDs of of the circuit board? Like, what? Yeah, it's not yeah. There's a reason out. you can't do any of that on iOS devices is because, like, you're better off not touching it ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the moment yeah. you do touch it, then you're probably gonna break your device like permanently. Um, so. Yeah. Yes, the case might be made like, oh, but I might be able to eat just about extra, like a little bit of extra information. And this is my device. I should be able to do uh, what I want with it. Um, and like, sure, I guess. But I don't think this I think there's should a limit. be. Yeah, I think there's a limit. I don't think this should be general functionality that's like open to anyone to be able to code in an app. I think if you really want to be doing this, you should be jailbreaking your device, which you can do. Um, and doing doing yeah. these shenanigans on your own, um, and it should not be a mass market like mandate um, to go ahead and do those things. That's fair. Okay, next one. Give sellers access to their marketing or advertising performance data on the platform. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I guess like basic analytics is something that Apple already does. Maybe. Now it has to be a whole lot more information. 
Um, maybe that has to include like customer information. I don't know. So, yeah, doesn't ambiguous. seem very Apple targeted, in my opinion. I think mm-hmm. our analytics are pretty dang good. Yep. Um, inform the the or sorry the European Commission of their acquisitions and mergers. I think that's pretty public anyway. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's not like Apple buys a company and no one knows. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but now it has to, now even if it has nothing to do with the EU, the EU, like, they want to know, um, I guess. Yeah. That might be another case of, like, overstepping bounds. Um, and then in terms of things that they can no longer do, so Apple can no longer rank their own products or services higher than those of others, which is called self-preferencing. Um, and I know there's like a lot of debate on like both sides of this, like one, this is Apple's like platform. So why should they not be able to like push stuff that they made? Um, but likewise, uh, if you are selling a store, if you have a store, you shouldn't be able to promote your stuff over competitors things, uh, namely after the fact, like a competitor always exists. And then you say, Hey, look at my thing. Uh, the competitor never existed. They're way down there. Um, so I can see like why we need rules like this. Um, that said, like the the part where it's like you can no longer do anything. I think it's like a fine line, and then just striking it in one direction kind of demotivates a company from ever like improving their platform. Um, which, like. Yeah, I'm not sure what's what's the best way to go about that problem. Yeah, I think it goes both ways. And I definitely can see the um, the appeal of completely zero preference. But also, there there's something to be said for uh, ranking Safari above other browsers because you know it's secure. And it's, you know, going to stay up to date with any security vul- vulnerabilities where... Some random other browser that, you know, someone's just made. Well, I don't know. That's maybe a bad example because he uses WebKit. But, uh, you know, Apple, I, I don't know. I feel like from a security and kind of safety point of view, I would trust an Apple app of some type rather than someone else's. So preferencing in that way, I'm like, mm, maybe that's a good thing. Um, but I can also see, you know, the downside. I don't know. Yeah. Um, reuse, they can no longer reuse private data collected during one service, uh, service for the preference, uh, sorry, they can no longer reuse private data collected during a service for the purposes of another service. So Apple cannot use anything they learned from anything to make anything else, I guess. No longer allowed. You're too big. Um, That seems weird. Like how, how do you enforce that? I don't know. I wonder if any of these rules just like disappear if you no longer define yourself as a gatekeeper. <laughs> like, I wonder if there's like some stupid loophole uh, that it's like, oh, yeah, we're not a gatekeeper. Uh, someone else is the gatekeeper and they have to abide by those rules. Yes. <laughs> Meet our subsidiary, Apple Store Inc. <laughs> Gatekeeping. Yeah. We are Apple. We make the software that is sold on Apple Store Inc. <laughs> oh my gosh dude that would be killer um but yeah uh they can no longer establish unfair conditions for business users um sorry business users that you've been treated unfairly up until now i have been unaware of uh this but you're yep. suffering 
Yeah, you're, you're yeah. Four, four suffering. I feel like business users uh, have, like, sideloading already and all that. Like, it's all kind of yeah. set up for those scenarios. Um, like, as I've mentioned previously, sideloading is a thing. It exists. Um, even the person who makes the alt store thinks this is, like, overstepping in terms of, like, how mm-hmm. easy it makes it to just do whatever the hell you want. Um, and as we discussed, like, most people... Uh, if you're presented with the option of like installing Facebook via side channels, they're going to do it because they care about Facebook, having Facebook on their phone and not about, uh, what Facebook is going to do to your phone when it no longer has any restrictions. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You're saying if, if it wasn't on the app store. Yeah. If it wasn't on the app store. Right. Uh, Like Apple has a certain amount of, uh, like pushback. Uh, from the app store case a lot of people make the case that oh the the um, the sandbox will protect everyone anyways like no the sandbox does not protect everyone like you can still do crazy stuff uh when you're running directly on a device um that yes you might not be able to access the user's contacts and stuff anymore um but you can still access all sorts of information about the device itself and not everything is locked down the way you see it and a lot of vulnerabilities start coming up and go away over time that allows more or less access to be granted. Um, and yes, for all the faults that the App Store has, it does provide an avenue to a bottleneck of sorts to kind of fix that um, and prevent it from being overly abused. Not saying that they do a great job at that, and that's probably why all of this is coming to a head, um, but that is why it's a good solution for a lot of those problems um that said apple did a poor job like keeping that promise and this is why we're in this situation right yep better than nothing though um oh this is what i was mentioning earlier they can no longer pre-install certain uh software applications yeah so uh, yeah. And then finally, they can no longer require app developers to use certain services, particularly like payment services um, yeah. or identity providers, in order to be listed in app stores. Um, so yeah, my favorite take on all of this uh, was uh, this one. Um, so it's it's pretty simple to comply on paper. Uh, Minimo three writes on as a comment on the Mac over Mac rumors uh, post. Uh, all they need to do is, on first boot, allow users to pick either full iOS or a custom stripped-down Darwin kernel with no security provisions. Your choice. Uh, you can install everything yourself, or you can get nothing. Um, or Yeah, you get everything, or you install everything yourself, uh, and you can do whatever you want. So third parties can be free to build their own window manager, file system, app store, browsers, services, etc. Um, and yeah you have full control at that point you can you can overclock whatever you want and burn and like smell the burning performance um just build your own os first yeah build your own os first um so yeah i i largely disagree with that like take as funny as it is uh because uh <laughs> if if apple is providing an os i don't think they should actively be able to prevent people from using the features of that os I just think, and I I just don't necessarily agree that the EU should be the one that's like mandating like how and what these features, the features that should be exposed are, because 
are they basically saying that uh, by just having an NFC chip that anyone can go ahead and fake the communications that the NFC chip is like having? Like it's easy to use NFC chips to do more or less bad things and you can buy those devices relatively easily if you know but if you don't know then you're not going to be doing those things for the most part um and one of the things that cell phones have done over the past decade is make hardware that was not necessarily like in everyone's hands available in everyone's hands um and with that there's tremendous responsibility to do it in a way that's not going to disrupt like everything else. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure. Uh, you don't see people carrying around like an NFC flubber to kind of fake credit card transactions on stores and stuff because someone would raise an eyebrow. Uh, but if someone just like waves their phone and that is doing something that like breaks the communication channel, uh, that the, that the NFC chip is using, um, that becomes problematic quickly um and i hate to say it but our institutional like financial systems are not secure um and like there are anyone with a uh pessimistic mindset can think of like a hundred ways to like just break the system down um and like i it it really scares me (laughs) that uh just like overreaching mandates can kind of come so easily um and yeah yeah i agree like case uh, in point if you ever write anyone a check they have full access to your account um that's just how it is uh it's easy to print checks it's easy to go ahead and set up uh, direct deposits uh yes you can lock your account and only enable it on certain transactions but that's something you need to do that's not on by default so right like uh, the the system is broken and it assumes everyone is a good actor um and i don't think i don't think that the world is ready to be woken up that that is not the case yeah i think that's the big like the crux of it all is like this is like we're pro consumer give them the rights to everything but also you know there are people that are most definitely going to abuse that um, Mm -hmm. as much as we would like to uh assume in a sort of positive view that everyone is good and like you said it's just not the case i mean and and who's going to suffer for it it's not going to be the ones that need any of these features it's Uh going to be the ones that know nothing about any of this and that are going to be fished into downloading a new os for their phone uh that is mining cryptocurrency in the background that they have no um like that is the ultimate outcome that is like the writing is on the wall it happens with people with computers and people don't trust computers anymore like oh i don't know how that thing's gonna work like i am afraid to use it because it it can do something that i don't understand uh and those that are ever so slightly less afraid but still don't know anything end up with like a million adware things that get installed and oh but the the system is secure and it's sandbox and sure yes it's sandbox but it's also reading all credit card data that you enter into any website uh because we now have browser extensions and those browser extensions uh can do whatever the they want to do and um i think that's that's the part that makes me want to not agree with any of these opinions that like oh this kind of pro consumer stuff is good 
is I have seen direct family and friends that inadvertently suffer from like these parasitic pieces of software that are very easily installed um, that yeah. on iOS are prevent like an order of magnitude harder to get installed accidentally and very easy to get rid of. Like you don't yeah. need to do anything to get rid of them on iOS. Um, like special, you just delete the app. Uh, you might end up with a profile that kind of like sneaks stuff in, in the background, but it's equally easy to get rid of that profile. Um, and then your system is back to a safe state. Uh, whereas on the Mac, good, good freaking luck uh, resetting that. It's far easier to do a clean install um, right. and to be sure that nothing snuck in. Even in the Apple Silicon world where everything is, quote unquote, more secure because any one piece of the system can become very insecure. And when that one piece is like the browser that everyone kind of uses, like, oh, just don't don't use Safari, use Chrome. And then there's a bunch of Chrome extensions that steal your information instead. Um, yeah. And, like, does that person need Chrome? No, they don't particularly care. They don't care about the battery life. They don't care about uh, the performance. They don't care about the, uh, like, it working for more websites, this or that. Like, they're using it for the most basic of uses, usages, and they still have all of this stuff that gets installed. And that is the majority of people, I think. I don't, I don't think that most people are technologically inclined to understand how any of this works. And even if you are, like, you make mistakes and you end up with, you just have to end up with one of these things once, and it may be very hard for you to find out um, and eventually get rid of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I am not a fan of most of this, like, control. I think that, uh, for the most part, it's to my benefit as a consumer that like a company like Apple exists that makes most of the trade-offs that I care about. Um, because yeah, I could, I could use Android and I could care a whole lot less of this. I can use a freedom phone or whatever they call them nowadays that you can install whatever (laughs) the hell you want on it. Um, like I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in that in that kind of, uh, in those kinds of use cases. And, uh, it, pains me to see the platform that i care about being destroyed in ways that i don't agree with because there won't be as there won't be an alternative after this because everything has to abide by these rules um so uh apple i'm mad at you for like screwing up so bad that like particularly we needed to to get to this point um despite agreeing with most of your decisions like up until uh very recently like you could have handled a lot of things more graciously. You could have said, "Hey, we support sideloading. You just have to do these four steps uh, that are very cumbersome and already exist. Like you can do these things right now. Um, they just needed to like be public Sanction about it, it, so that way everyone yeah. can hear the word. Oh, we support sideloading. You can support running your own app store. Um, <laughs> like yes, it's all possible, um, and yeah. it's all stuff that they could like clamp down on." But now we are going to be forced to have a much more easy way to do whatever the hell people want. Um, and I think that's that's a downside. And that's a failure on Apple to kind of uh, get the get the get the problem back into the box that it didn't need to ever need to escape from. That's fair. So shame on you, EU, for not having nuance in your decisions. Shame on you, Apple. Yeah. Yeah, like, all of this could also be solved by 
the people making these decisions having sensible decisions. Um, oh, well, yes. Uh, but, like, any sort of ambiguity can be taken both ways. Like, either uh, a company can skirt around it because it's ambiguous in terms of, like, how it's uh, being portrayed, or uh, they can do nothing because it's so ambiguous that they're able to find for any little uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah. There's like a whole bunch of nuance that's just kind of ignored by all of this, and it's it's a bit disappointing that uh, we will have to see all of this in probably like six months, like very soon, um, as they come to um, get this in front of lawmakers to actually turn into law. Um, and yeah, I won't be surprised if Apple just pulls out of the EU, and like it's a it's a good sized market, but it's not it's maybe not that big of a market to them you know yeah it's not going to tank them for sure it'd be a big old middle finger too man yeah and like if if apple pulls out then maybe google says yeah maybe we'll pull out too and then the eu is in big trouble because they just kicked out like everyone who's making cell phones and maybe that opens it up for someone in the eu to say oh we're gonna make a cell phone um sure and maybe that's good for the eu in general but uh I hate to say a whole lot of people are just going to be buying externally um, and you're going to be hurting them uh, in the process and you could have made better decisions that are probably more nuanced and less like sudden um, that you could end up with a better scenario. Yeah. I guess what we can take away from this is that we really quickly need to set up an iPhone importing business into the EU. Yep. On the down low. On the down low. Good, that's good money assuming there. Assuming that Apple is actually going to build. <laughs> I know. But then, but then we'll be the gatekeepers. The... Hey! <laughs> Who gatekeeps the gatekeepers, man? We'll have to. Uh, the, the EU, EU I guess. <laughs> the yeah, EU dang is it. The that doesn't, that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, okay. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye.